0: Good evening, everyone. Thank you to Kat and Drew who have been leading us this evening. Uh, if you were here last week, we introduced this new series, Rhythm and Rules. And what I, what I did last week and what I'm going to continue to do right throughout this series is uh, to encourage each of us to consider writing a rule of life. Now, if you weren't here last week, that, that, that might sound like something you've maybe never heard of before, but hopefully as I, I kind of reintroduce it a little bit, I'll explain more or else listen to, to the last week online if you get a chance. But at the end of the day, a rule of life is simply a plan, a, a thoughtful, conscious, intentional plan that, that sets down or, or sets out and describes and explains how you're going to, how we're going to nurture our spiritual lives. It's a kind of plan that establishes a rhythm for life, a rhythm of ancient and biblical and relevant and and life-giving practices with the intention of helping us to remain in Jesus and bear much fruit, as as Jesus said in in John 15. And so what we're not talking about is some kind of gimmick or novel idea. It's a time-tested spiritual practice that's been around for centuries that helps us. And, and this is, it's not about tra- trying harder, but about training wisely in order to facilitate our growth and our development and depth as Christians. And as we, we thought about a, a rule of life, I referred to one of these, a trellis, because the word rule actually comes from the Greek for trellis. And, and a trellis, as we know, it's, it's a tool, That enables a grapevine to get get off the ground, to grow upwards, and become fruitful and and more productive. And so, like a trellis, a rule of life is simply a tool that supports and guides our growth as followers of Jesus. Now, last week, uh, I I treated you to me drawing a trellis here, here at the front. Uh, Here's a picture of what I drew. Uh, But it illustrates, I'm not sure how clear that it is, but it kind of illustrates the various spiritual disciplines or holy habits and areas of life that a rule covers and captures. Now up there, that's not a kind of exhaustive list or, or comprehensive list, but it includes all the specific subjects that we are going to address during this Rhythm and Rules series. And so last week, we talked about the importance of that first root practice, the practice of prayer, the most central of all of the spiritual disciplines. And as we begin writing a rule of life, I suggested that this is where we need to start, with a kind of decision and a commitment to pray on a regular basis, at a time whenever we are most alert and present to God, because God deserves the best of us. And so a rule of life, and and I read last week, if you were here, I read out a kind of example of a rule of life, but many rules of life start with a simple statement that just says, I'm going to begin each day with prayer, I'm going to end each day with prayer, or I'm going to pray at various intervals during the day. But I also encouraged us to think about place position and and patterns. And therefore, as as you begin to write a rule, you you might refer to where you're going to pray. You're maybe going to Think about your posture as you pray and the patterns that you use. And different people I know and many here use different patterns for prayer. So things like acts, you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Some people use the psalms as a kind of framework and pray a psalm every day. Some people use the Lord's Prayer as a pattern for prayer. They repeat it or else they use it as a kind of launch pad. And so as we write a rule of life and say, God, I'm committing to kind of praying at this particular time each day. Here's, here's the place I'm going to pray. Here's the posture. Here's the pattern I'm going to use. Those are just some examples of of what you can include. And I don't know how you got on. If you were here last week, did you get a chance to do it? I'm not asking for uh, hands up at this point, not that anybody was gonna do it. But as we think about writing a rule of life, and as we think about spiritual disciplines and and training wisely, and also as we, we think about tonight's specific practice, I guarantee you, that one of the reactions to this, one of the reasons maybe that that we struggle to do it is because we're too busy. Life is too busy. And so getting a moment or any time to even write down a sentence or two, which is what I suggested out of the back of last week, But even finding a moment or time to write down a sentence or two, never mind actually praying regularly this week, has maybe been a big enough challenge for some people here. Where did the past week go? For minutes, we've hardly stopped. I wonder if uh, you remember and can identify with this quote. Now here you see, it takes all the running you can do just to keep in the same place. If you want to get somewhere else, you must run at least twice as fast. Anyone know who said that? Come on. It was the Red Queen in Alice in Wonderland. (laughs) But for many of us, and for many in our culture, is is this not true? Is this not our experience? We're we're busy people living busy lives, playing catch-up. And often it feels like every waking moment is, is filled and it's crammed with activity. Thomas Merton, kind of Trappist monk in the last century, said that the most, is strong, he said that the most pervasive form of violence in the modern world is busyness. Not drugs, not guns, he said, but busyness. Although for some people, busyness and being busy is a drug. They're addicted to it. The, the Chinese character for busy, some of you might know this. Some people dispute this, but, but as I understand it, and you please correct me afterwards if it's not right, but the Chinese character for busy combines the pictographs for heart and death, which suggests that busyness is can kill the heart. A survey from a few years ago announced the grim statistic that as well as working longer hours than they used to 30 years ago, people sleep on average two hours less per night. And all the gadgets that were supposed to save us time have only succeeded in raising expectations about how quickly people should respond to us and about how much more we should be able now to pack into a day because we've got all these time-saving devices. I've used this particular quote before, but listen and see if you agree. Of all the things that were supposed to save us time, but actually ended up demanding that we fit more things into the same finite number of hours available, surely email has more to answer for. Not only does it demand attention, expecting me to do more and more, but it robs me of time to reflect. It always wants an instantaneous response. It has not given me more time, it has filled my finite time with more things. Is that too strong or is that too right? Either way, there's no denying that modern life is busy, it's demanding, and as a result, it seems that lots of us are in a constant hurry. We're continually rushing around, never getting to the end of those to-do lists. Always finding one more problem to sort out, one more email to respond to, one more text message to send, one more expectation to meet, decision to make, person to see, event to attend, shop to call at, website to visit, picture to insta, social media feed to check, essay to write, assignment to research, presentation to prepare, journey to make. And it's all part and parcel, yes, of 21st century life. But something is not quite right and can't be whenever we're constantly finding that there just aren't enough hours in the day. And so we hear people coming out with the phrase, that that kind of expression of frustration, that mantra of our age, if only I had more time. If only I had more time, I'd, I'd, I'd pray more. I'd even consider writing the rule of life. And isn't it true that so much of what we get stressed about and uptight about comes down to the fact that we didn't have or we don't have enough time? Mark Buchanan, as some of you know, is one of my favorite writers. And he wrote this a few years ago, and it's a long quote, and I've put it all on the screen, but it's interesting. Someone asked me recently what was my biggest regret in life. I thought for a moment surveying the vast and cluttered landscape of my blunders and losses, the evil I had done and the evil that's been done against me. Being in a hurry, I said, pardon? Being in a hurry, getting to the next thing without fully entering the thing in front of me. I cannot think of a single advantage I've ever gained from being in a hurry. But a thousand broken and missed things, tens of thousands lie in the wake of all that rushing. Through all that haste, I thought I was making up time. Turns out I was throwing it away. Don't know if that rings true. And what's the result? What's the, the fallout? What's the reality of life in the fast lane? It's exhaustion. So lots of people are wrung out Physically emotionally, spiritually, wrecked, shattered, who long for a break, who can't wait for a break. But in the meantime, they find themselves just running simply to keep up. What is this life? If full of care, there is no time to stand and stare. And one of the very real dangers of this is that we find ourselves being shaped by our schedules. And then as Ian Stackhouse writes, life is indeed a series of schedules to be adhered to rather than a rhythm of grace to dance to. And I don't know if you ever feel like you're just living to a series of schedules and deadlines, things to do. And so we need to slow down. And some people may remember some of this material from a few years ago. But we need to slow down. And we need to take a deep breath. And we need to revisit some ancient wisdom. And that leads us to the practice of Sabbath. Which not only speaks into our busy lives. But as we think about a rule of life, Sabbath is the kind of necessary 2nd root practice that supports the rest of this trellis. You see, without Sabbath, so much of all that structure comes under pressure. If we never stop and rest, then it's highly unlikely we're going to get down to praying or reading Scripture or investing in family and friends or looking after ourselves or playing or handling our money properly or working to the glory of God or being Christ's witnesses here, there, and to the ends of the earth. Sabbath is a God-given gift that has the ability to restore, to restore our bodies and our minds and our soul, it's that God-given permission. It's actually an invitation of God to slow down, to stop, to stare. In fact, it's more than that. It's a God-given command. It's a requirement. And so as Wayne Muller wisely says, we stop not, not because we've come to the end of our list of things we need to do, We stop because it's time to stop. Sabbath requires surrender. If we only stop when we have finished our emails or our projects or our things to do, for example, we'll never stop because our work is never completely done. Constant busyness has a potential to kill our hearts And hurry sickness is an increasing problem. It's a debilitating illness in our day and age. And unless we discover or rediscover and restore Sabbath, there's going to be more and more casualties, people who end up skimming their lives rather than living them to the full. But to paraphrase Mark Twain, our busyness is like the weather. Everyone complains about it, but no one does anything about it. The practice of Sabbath, and actually writing it into a rule of life, is where we do something about it. Now, as we tease this out in a little more detail, I kind of want to zoom back, or zoom out, and and go back to the beginning of time, as we know it, and the character of God, because we need to understand the character of God. We need to understand the creation narratives as we think about Sabbath, and about slowing down, and about rest. Now, I know that, that God lives outside of time, but let's not forget God created it, and he works within it. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we discover a God of rhythm. And so there is a rhythm to these chapters at the beginning of Genesis and text to the way God's work. And so they're divided into chunks of time. There was morning, there was evening, there was the first day, there was evening, there was morning, the second day, and on it goes. And incidentally, it's really interesting to note that, biblically speaking, a day doesn't begin in the morning. There was evening and there was morning the first day that means the first thing we do in the day is rest we sleep it's just a thought but what i want us to notice as we think about the creation narratives is that there is structure there's pattern there's routine and those are things that we all need in our lives to some extent there's maybe some people need them more than others but I think it's also worth noting that God doesn't rush creation. He, he could have done it in an instant. God could have done it in a moment. But instead, God built in time to reflect, to think, to weigh up, to measure. And so we read, and God saw that it was good. And then he created some more. And he stood back and he saw that it was good, and then he created some more. And then finally, and crucially, God then rested. There was rhythm, there was structure, there was pattern, there was routine, there was rest. And so, on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. God rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The climax of the creation liturgy is not the creation of man and woman, as we sometimes tend to think, but is the blessing of the Sabbath on the seventh day, is the pinnacle, Rest was part and parcel of the rhythm, a necessary part. And so within the opening chapters of the Bible, we we discover something about the character of God, the character of the creator that must, if you like, impact his creation. There was rhythm, pattern, structure, routine. But there was also reflection, time to contemplate, think, assess, weigh up, measure. And then there was rest. And we have been made in the image of God, and therefore we do require structure. And that's why I I love the prospect of teaching this series on a rule of life, because it is simply about putting down a structure that will help us to nurture our spiritual lives. We need structure. And remember, as I said last week, this is, this is not about trying harder. It's about training wisely. This is not about earning anything. This is not us trying to get into God's good books. This is about working out our salvation, not working for it. But we require structure. We require patterns and routine. We need to take time to reflect, to consider and review where we're at, how we're doing. And we desperately need Sabbath and rest. We need time out, or rather time in, in order to be restored and renewed and re-energized. And again, something we've looked at before, but don't miss the incredible thought that Adam and Eve, who were made on the sixth day, their first day on planet earth was a day off. And so they worked from a place of rest whereas most of us rest from a place of work. We've got it all around the wrong way. They worked from a place of rest. And therefore, Sabbath needs to be part of the way we live. God modeled it. God knit it into the created order. And then later, yes, he commanded it. But not as a burden to bear, but as a necessity to enjoy. Although for some of us, we may need to deal with our rather negative view of Sabbath that has been ingrained into our thinking for various reasons. You see, Sabbath, as, as Mark Buchanan describes it, it's a form of mending. He calls it mortar in the joints because unless we keep Sabbath, we break far too easily. You see, we are made from dust, And as Paul rightly describes us, we are just clay pots. And therefore, although we may be hard, we are brittle. And Sabbath keeping might just hold us together. It might just stop us from falling apart. But apart from potentially falling apart and becoming increasingly exhausted, What else happens when you don't keep Sabbath? When this is not part of your rule of life? And and I realize I'm kind of preaching to the choir because the very fact you're here, the very fact you've chosen to be here today shows that this is part of your rule of life. This is part of your rhythm. But what else happens when people don't keep Sabbath? Well, at a deeper level, Not taking Sabbath could be seen, and and this is a a comment again from Ian Stackhouse, who I quoted earlier. It's a comment that I like, but disturbs me. Not taking Sabbath could be seen as an expression of deep ingratitude and rank infidelity, for it asserts the primacy of self over the graciousness of God. See, when we we don't take a Sabbath, we kind of say, God, God, I don't need the rest. (laughs) I don't need to rest. I, I, I'll call the shots myself. I live my life to my own kind of timetable. Or as Walter, Walter Brueggemann puts it so brilliantly in his commentary in Genesis, the celebration of a day of rest was then the announcement of trust in this God who is confident enough to rest. It, it does kind of blow my mind that God rested. It was then, as it is now, an assertion that life does not depend on our feverish activity or self-securing. There can be a pause in which life is simply given to us as a gift. So when we don't take a Sabbath, we're effectively throwing the gift that God has given us back in his face. And therefore somehow suggesting, no God, I've discovered a better way to live, that life in the fast lane constantly is the way forward. Or that our busyness and our hurriedness and our lack of rest is far more fulfilling, God. We need to rediscover a rhythm of life that our Creator intended us to live. And Sabbath is central to that rhythm. Nearly done. Now, when I say Sabbath, I am, of course, talking about a day. By definition, Sabbath means a day of rest. A particular day, one day in seven, decidedly different to the other days of the week. But Sabbath is both a day and it's an attitude. It's both a date on a calendar and it's a disposition of the heart. It's a perspective, it's an orientation. And as someone has said, you will never enter the Sabbath day without a sabbath heart and so we need both but the question is can we ever actually recover a sabbath day in this culture or have we gone too far down a particular road and the chances of returning back again are slim for us in the the busy western world it does seem that any sense of a special day of rest is, is long past it's gone or it certainly is in the process of disappearing. One day is just like the next. In fact, the boundaries between the different days of the week, and even nowadays, the boundaries between night and day have been eroded. And therefore, our society has lost or is losing that rhythm that is so important. And so does that mean we give up, shut up, Buy into the culture? Go with the flow? No. I don't think, I don't believe it does. We need to be people who model something different, who live countercultural lives. We can't force people to rest. We can't force people to observe Sabbath. But the reality is, people need it. We need it. People desperately need it. And therefore, we, the people of God, the people of the book, should hold out a way of life, a rhythm of life, a rhythm to our weeks that speaks to a culture that says there's time to stop, there's time to slow down, there is a time to observe and enjoy Sabbath rest. And as I said, for most of us, that most likely will happen today on a Sunday when we cease from work or from activities that closely resemble our work, when we cease from what's necessary and we embrace what is it that gives us life? What is it that renews? What is it that restores? What is it that re-energizes? And so for many of us, we gather together like this with others to worship in song and prayer through remembering, through listening, through responding, Or we spend time, more focused, concentrated time with friends and with family. Or we read. Or we go out and walk, swim, dance. Whatever it is that gives us life. And one more thing as I bring us to a close. And this may be obvious given what we've already looked at. But this has all got to be about more than one day a week. We actually need to live each day well. This is the day the Lord has made. So's tomorrow. So's Tuesday and Wednesday. And we should rejoice in those days and be glad in them. And if we can learn to live each day well, then surely that will help us to live the Sabbath day well or at least better. And here's one suggestion how to live each day well. Live it prayerfully. Live it contentedly. Live it gratefully. Because the issue isn't how much we do in a day or how little. Really the key issue is the manner in which we do what we do. Do we do all to the glory of God? Is everything we do an act of worship, do we live each day well? And so if it feels that life is passing us by a bit. If you are constantly running and that's only to catch up, then let me strongly suggest you slow down. You rediscover Sabbath, the day and the attitude. And you learn to live every day prayerfully, contentedly, gratefully. And write that into your rule of life write it in. Because Sabbath is a God-given oasis for body and soul. It's a restorative practice that we need to thoughtfully, consciously, intentionally plan. Otherwise, it won't happen. In the same way that if we don't consciously, thoughtfully, intentionally plan to pray, the likelihood is another week will pass. And we'll look back and say, I just just didn't find the time. That's why a rule of life for me is so important. Let's pray together. God, as we continue to think about a rule of life, a, a trellis, a support structure that enables us to grow upward and to become more fruitful and productive, I pray that you will help us to make those things in our lives that you have recommended should be part of our lives. Help us to make those a priority. Prayer. Dialogue with our Father. And also the practice of Sabbath. Rest. In order to be restored and renewed, refocused, and re-energized. And then God help us to be people who work from a place of rest, rather than rest from being at work all week. We need your help in order to remain in Jesus and to be people who bear much fruit. Help us to train wisely. In Jesus' name. Amen.